You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to one of our Spotify Live Pride of Detroit podcasts where you guys call in live with questions and our panel of three Lions experts, we'll call them, gives us our best answers. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I will be your host. I am the editor-in-chief over at Pride of Detroit, and you can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me, as always, let's start with the managing editor of Pride of Detroit. You can find him at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric Schlitt. Man, a uh- expert and the best answers i mean that's look i'm here for it i'm here for it um, <laughs> no lies detected eric <laughs> let's bring our third on then yeah our third expert slash right answer slash best dad slash whatever you want to call him he's a senior editor at pride of detroit you can find him at ryan underscore pod on twitter ryan matthews is here jeremy as you always like to say uh if you don't like this podcast you can have your money back absolutely <laughs> guaranteed in fact such a guarantee all right well if this is your first time listening we do these over on the spotify live app you can join us and follow at pride of detroit we bring in live callers and we we try to answer as many questions as we can and we are going to kick things off with uh spotify live i i I feel like i need to come up with superlatives every time we bring him on but let's just call him a spotify live all-star dan is with us dan buddy (laughs) Oh, I appreciate it, man. I'm, I am uh, sort of, I don't, there's a movie I think called After Hours where this guy, you know, like a regular advertising guy goes off and has the night of his life and ends up next morning back at work. And I've, I've already crossed the Bay Bridge twice and bless my heart. Uh, I, I, I did it because I left my phone behind playing D&D last night. And I just, I had that excuse and, and all of these terrible things. But like, it was a roller coaster just listening to you guys talk before we started because it was like the, the Kool-Aid was running and I can't wait to read those articles. And then suddenly... Second round running backs is brought up by Jeremy. And silent, you know what I mean? Yeah, the the podcast listeners don't even know we have about ten to fifteen minute discussion before we even go live on on the podcast feed. But yeah, uh, just but, another uh, reason to join us live. But uh, well, one flip side of doing two trips is I left my notes at home. Sorry for the background noise. Um, but so I'm free balling it. I'm just going to go for it. And here we go. It's uh, I was listening to a th- three and out pod cast earlier in the week with Tyshaw, uh, Samantha Bumpton and, and Michael Shorty. And, Michael, and they were talking about the Panthers and their quarterbacks. And it's, it, you know, it's amazing. They've got the first and third or top two QBs from 2018. But they were, he was talking, uh, uh, Shorty was talking that, that he still reckoned they're going to get a quarterback at eight next year in the draft. And I just started thinking and I was just wondering because you guys were talking uh, at the podcast with, the, yeah, with Chris earlier in the week, like just – Bright, um, CJ Stroud, just if he's not going number one, he's going number two, and maybe number two's you know, uh, the other guy, Bryce Young, and everything else. And I'm just like, my question is, like, who do you think the top five draft picks will be, like by team, not by whoever owns that pick? And, and, and where do you think we are? I, and I'll, I'll just offer up, I think we might be nine. 
Okay, interesting. So let's we're predicting draft order right now. I, I love it. Um, this is I, I'm I'm not I don't know if I'm ready for this, but uh, I don't know if I want to put one of you guys on the spot right away either. Either you think you can name off maybe the the worst five the worst five teams in in the NFL. I can I can, I can give you a, a moment to think just to relay a story that I promised I would tell my D and D buddies last night, and it was just <laughs> simply that we were just getting started and we got into a bit, little bit political uh, discussion, let's say, and then we said you know get to that side and pause like okay let's get going, and uh, the DM says uh, roll for fuck you. Well, I should have warned ahead of time. Sorry, <laughs> no, it's it. fine. <laughs> and I just wanted to share that because it was I just laughed for like ten minutes straight. And <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> All right, who's ready to be the brave one to go first, Eric or Ryan? Can I can I just start throwing out teams that are going to sure. be bad? Yeah. Uh, I mean, without a doubt, the Bears are going to be bad. Yep. We, we keep talking about it, and we keep on saying, well, you know, they look bad on paper, but if this happens, this happens. We, we've done that so many times with Lions teams. Like, the Bears are just going to be bad. Like, yeah, they they have they might have a good quarterback, but, like, it, it's not going to come to fruition. So, I mean, the the two teams that stand up to me that are absolutely going to be cellar dwellers are going to be the Bears and the Falcons. I think the Falcons are going to be so bad. Really? Yes. Okay. They went, yeah. seven, they went seven and ten last year, but it feels like they could have easily lost 15. Well, they lost Matt Ryan, too. So Of course. True. Yeah. Uh, add, add Houston in there because Houston's going to be one of the bottom five. Yep. Four and thirteen last year. Uh, Jacksonville? Are they going to prob- be one of the worst? Probably. I, I mean, I, I don't think are. so. I, I, th- I, th- I think Trevor Lawrence is going to take a. I think he's going to take a step this year. I think. Okay. I think he's going to take a big step this year, and it's really unfair what happened with Urban Meyer. Like, I feel like that's a year that you can just wipe away. Sure, but I, I and I hear I see Bears fans doing this too. They're, they're like, oh, we're doing a, a addition by subtraction with with Matt Nagy. You're still in year one of a new coach, and that typically doesn't go that well, right? Like it's just, I I agree, but Eberflus is not um, Doug Peterson. <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, what do we think about Seattle? I'm, Seattle's kind of an interesting one in this conversation all the time because they always seem to weather the storm, but this was a particularly turbulent off season for them. Well, Seattle's one of the most interesting teams, though, and it, and it relates back to Dan's question because why were they not way more interested in Baker Mayfield than than they should have been? You know what I mean? Like, why why weren't they like banging down the door to add Baker Mayfield, and why are they so confident in going to this season with with Geno Smith and Drew Locke? I I, I don't know that 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 really puzzles me. I, I think they think could be bad is what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah. No. Do you think bottom five bad? I mean, they're in a tough division. I mean, they, they, could get, they could get beat up, you know, in their division. Good point. All right, so we've thrown around what? We've thrown around Jacksonville, Houston, Atlanta, Chicago, Seattle. That's five right there. Is there anyone else? Like, what about the, the New York teams? Do you, do you expect either of them to take a big jump this year? Or are they going to stay kind of – they were both 4-13 and 13 last year. I, I think both are going to be bad. I don't know about necessarily bottom five, mm-hmm. um, but I think I could see them dropping that far. I could also see Carolina imploding. Like, I mean, like, mm-hmm. it just – I it's just got that weird vibe to them. You know right. what I mean? Like, they've got four quarterbacks, but they – including a former first and a former third overall pick. But, like, do they really have any quarterbacks? You know what I mean? Like, so right. it's a uh, – and I just don't have confidence in Matt Rule. Um, so, what what about Cleveland? Because 
they're probably not going to have a quarterback worth playing for the first, I mean, maybe the entire year. Who knows what happens with them? I mean, like, <laughs> I, I hope only, I hope only thing, only bad things happen to the Cleveland Browns this year. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Well, let's, let's move to the, to the second part of the question, which is where we think the Lions are going to be picking. That's a tougher one, right? Sure. That's uh, I mean, it, I I could see them picking in the teens, but like the it could be early teens or late teens. You know what I mean? Like, right. Um, you know, I think we've all kind of s- s- said the you know the same thing. We're expecting kind of like a uh, somewhere between seven and nine wins, and that puts them right on that edge of the somewhere in the teens, essentially. Yeah, I think I think that I mean it depends obviously where, where how successful you think they're going to be this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they if they if they somehow slip into a wild card, that means they're not picking until like twenty two or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you look at last year's draft order, and if you get to, I, I think most people kind of say six is is where they at least should be. This year, if you if you had six wins, or actually it was last year, you were picking tenth or, or higher. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, I, that that could be your floor. I feel yeah, that seems that sounds legit. Does that sound crazy to you, Ryan? It doesn't sound crazy to me, and, and, and I think what I think people might need to come to terms with this is like the Lions could have a quote unquote bad season by a lot of people's you know, expectations just because six is the floor. But like you said, Jeremy, six puts you right around 10. And that takes you out of the CJ Stroud sweepstakes. That takes you out of the Bryce Young sweepstakes. And it, and it all of a sudden catapults you into that position that, you know, uh, Eric talked about, um, I want to say, like just post-draft um, when we were kind of talking about like, okay, like what's the plan for the Lions at quarterback now? And, and you know, Eric mentioned – it, it, it might be like the Lions in kind of like that Justin Fields range where, you know, may, maybe maybe that's where they are. Maybe maybe they play a little bit better and they and they have to package up that Rams pick and move up and, and maybe they take a guy if, if Goff isn't the guy. But, I mean, 10, I think we can all agree, undoubtedly takes you out of the Stroud and, and, and Young sweepstakes at this point. I mean, there's still a whole college football season to go and we know how that goes. But, yeah. If you're looking forward – to, to the draft class. Um, there's a, a bunch of defensive linemen that are really good. Like your Will Anderson from Alabama is going to be one of the top guys. Um, Georgia has a couple of top guys as well. Jalen Carter, their defensive tackle, could end up being like a top five pick. That's We haven't said that in a long time about a defensive tackle, but he's pretty – he's that good. Um, and then you have Bryce Young, and then you have C.J. Stroud. Well, if you if those two are going at the top, then you're talking about like Will Levis is probably that like third quarterback that's might end up dropping out of the top five that you know could be a potential target for the Lions. So if, if you're looking for a quarterback to keep an eye on um, outside of of Stroud and Bryce, I think Levis is probably the guy to 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 look at. Now there's going to be a handful of other guys that are like kind of fringe, and you know they could. They, they could ascend their game or maybe they could even regress, you know, like we saw last year, a lot of regression last year, but there's a, there's going to be a bunch of other guys like that or that are kind of on the edge to watch, but, but Levis seems to be settling in as kind of that like third quarterback. And, and he would be in that range if the lines were aggressive and wanted to go up and, and 
couldn't get one of the top two guys. Careful. You're, you're jumping into, into 2023 draft territory. That's not what the question was, Eric. Well, kind of, kind of. <laughs> you're right. Um, I, I, I thank you guys. And, and, and apologies for the, the swear word earlier. I, um, Chris, don't cut me out. I, um, but no, I, I, I wanted to say that like it, it built like you were talking about uh, in the early show, how the last six games, or, you know, like the different parts of the season, I feel like we're going to have two parts, at least two parts for this next season, you know, even if it's four games for JMO or, or the fellow pup class, it's still going to be a couple of weeks to get up to speed. And, and, and I looked at the schedule and it seems to me like the first six to eight games are sort of the harder of the second six to eight games. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, if, if we lose, I think I was chatting to my mate Matt about it and his, and, and his sort of like, I, I have this a personal feeling, uh, feeling that I sort of, we can judge our success or failure or, or, or progress, should we say, maybe by how we do compared to the Vikings. Like, you know, if we beat them at the number two or, you know, keep, you know, whatever. I mean, and Vikings are generally in that sort of playoff hunt as well. So, but he was just like, he doesn't want us to get blown out. And I, and I think that that's probably a, a good way to sort of uh, judge it, but it, it could be that we have a rough start with Philly and, it, but we also might just, you know, you know, revenge game. And, and I, I just, I have to say, and I don't mean to be petty, but, Beating the Pats, I think that could be really good timing. Thanks yeah. so much. No problem, Dan. Appreciate the question. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack there. But uh, but we'll 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 move on to to the next uh, caller here. Uh, we got Caden on the line. Caden, how's it going, buddy? Uh, pretty good, guys. Uh, Sackmaster General, um, <laughs> Doctor Wet Blanket. and Eric <laughs> Keyboard Warrior. Good morning, guys. <laughs> morning, Caden. Eric's was by far the most offensive, and and Caden does not live on top of the hill. He lives under the hill. I do. Actually, actually, I used to live on top of a hill. Um, um, What's your question? Last weekend, I asked about John Kaminsky, and I figure when I'm going to get into these, I'm going to keep asking about guys that are kind of on the fringe – in terms of position rankings, we've been talking a lot in the in the uh, OTAs about um, oh god, I was just looking at his name. Why can uh, Jay Sean Cornell? Yeah, and you guys were very high on him, especially Eric coming out as taking nose tackle reps behind uh, Aleem McNeil. And I just want to know, do you see um, him firmly like taking, uh, taking over a roster spot considering he wasn't drafted by this regime and he had like, he had his ACL tear. And then the next, uh, the next year he gets the suspension do you see him uh, really like having a lot roster spot locked down going into uh, training camp? Yeah, let's let's talk some Jayshon Cornell because he was probably my biggest surprise from OTAs. He's a guy that I had very little expectations for for all the reasons you just said. You know, coming off a serious injury a couple of years ago has that you know a, a suspension that I, you know could be a red flag, could be nothing. And and yeah, like you said, he's not not a guy who was drafted by this uh, this regime. So the fact that he stuck out, I think, shows even more. Because again, I came in with zero expectations. So Eric, I guess what what are your thoughts on his 
viability to not really own, cause I think right now he's in the driver's seat for a roster spot, but what sort of impact could you actually see him making in 2022? Yeah. The, the trick is health, right? Like he had, he had issues staying healthy last year as well. So of course the Achilles was, was his rookie season. And then um, the suspension as Caden mentioned, and then uh, he had a health issue on, on the back half of last year as well. But what we've seen consistently, regardless of coaching staff is that he has been repping high in the rotation with, in both schemes, right? Uh, a former defensive end at Ohio state that pushed inside to the three technique uh, in, in his senior year. And then his uh, work as a, as a senior at the three is what ended up getting him drafted. And he's got some position flexibility. He can kick out to the five. He, we saw a little bit of nose um, over the spring. Three is really his best position. He's even said that, uh, but, but health has really been his, his biggest, uh, you know, uh, factor to overcome. Right. Um, if health can get straightened around. I agree with you, Jeremy, that he is in the driver's seat. I, I think him and Penasini were challenging each other for that kind of uh, defensive tackle four spot. But with Penasini retiring, it really opens the door for Cornell to take that over. Now, he'll, he's going to get pressure from Bruce Hector. He's going to get pressure from UDFA Demetrius Taylor. But right now, I, I agree, Cornell is the guy who is firmly in that DT4 spot. Now, does that guarantee him anything? I don't necessarily think it does, but I, I think he's farther ahead than uh, than Hector or Taylor at this stage. And so that's going to give him um, a, a good advantage going into the into training camp. So, so I, I have a question that hopefully either either Jeremy, uh, who has all those people working on the siding at his house, um, either Jeremy can answer or Eric can answer. But like, when it comes to roster construction, and I think to, to get to Caden's question, talking about, you know, Cornell repping at nose tackle, do you feel like that positional versatility or do you think that just Cornell getting those reps there provides a, I guess, a, a more straightforward route to him making the roster? And do you, do you think that that's something the Lions would take into consideration just based on the idea that, like, if the Lions, if for some reason, knock on wood right now, but if, if Aline McNeil can't go and they need a nose tackle, they they can turn to somebody like Cornell, or if Aline suffers some kind of, like, serious injury, like, do you think the Lions would be in the in a comfortable spot to say, we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, we can sign a body if we need one? In my opinion... If something happens to a it's a big problem. The nose, yeah. The nose pass, yeah. The nose tackle position goes away, and they're just going to run two, three techniques the whole gotcha. time. Okay, honestly, yeah. um, because I don't think the nose is going to be as much of a priority um, when you get beyond a, a lean, because a lean gives you that flexibility to shift between three and four man fronts, and like, yep. but I don't think anybody else has that type of range to be able to hold that nose down. Um, Cornell's, like I said, he's mostly a three. Brockers is a four. Levi is best as a three. Uh, Demetrius Taylor, who has seen a little bit of nose as well, he's a, a five technique that's probably pushing into the three. Hector's more of a three, five as well. Like most of the D tackles are in that three, four, five range. Aleem is just the unicorn of the bunch because he can do so much stuff. Um, at the same, in the same breath, 
I don't know if they can just pick a guy up off the street that's going to come in and do anything meaning anything meaningful, right? Like, I for think, sure. Yeah, I think they. I think if Aleem is hurt, they just wash the nose tackle and adjust the scheme. Um, so yeah, and I didn't even really, I didn't even really give that any thought, Eric. Like that, that makes a lot more sense than saying, "Hey, you know, we're so desperate to have a nose tackle, we'll just we'll pick one up because it's easy to plug a big body into that spot." Mm-hmm. You, you might as well just go back to what your what the Lions have been saying forever since you know Dan Campbell got here. Like we're gonna play to the strengths of our personnel. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Yeah, so if they're gonna take the four best defensive tackles, I think Cornell is number four right now. So. I don't know if that I don't know if that means lock, but that definitely means he's he's far enough ahead. Or I don't think Hector and Taylor. Uh, I think they're going to have to do a lot of work to, to to bump him off that spot. And I just the only thing I really want to add to the conversation here is because I feel like this has kind of been a, a a normal thing that we've heard from a lot of fans is like this kind of anxiety that with Penasini retiring that there there is no nose tackle depth. And, and while I, I, I agree that like defensive tackle in general is not a great position, I just don't think they're going to use nose tackle much at all. Like I know, I know Aleem can play it, but they basically said like they want to use Aleem's quickness a little more. And so we're going to see him more, I think at three tech than certainly more than we saw it last year. Like they, when, when we're talking four man fronts, that usually means without a nose tackle, right? Yeah. Aleem just gives you versatility to right. be a little bit more flexible inside. Yeah. Right. I agree with you. He's probably going to play more three than, than, than nose. But when you have him out there, um, you can adjust the scheme without having to adjust the personnel. And that's incredibly valuable. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. Caden, appreciate the question, man. Thanks uh, guys. No problem at all. Let's, uh, let's move to Nick W. Nick W. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, can you hear me? Yep. Thanks guys. Uh, uh, first time caller, long time listener. I uh, love what you guys put out. Um, Appreciate that. S- sorry about this, but I am a typical Lions draft junkie. It's my favorite day of the year. Uh, usually it falls on my birthday, so nice. it's like better than Christmas to me. So I'd like to turn it back sort of towards Dan's question, bring it back to the 2023 draft. Um, I agree with something Ryan said the other day to Chris, where there's no perfect world the Lions can have a successful season and put yourself in a position to get that quarterback. And I think golf is going to be the guy, whether we like it or not next season as well. So do you think there's any chance that Brad Holmes can do what he does, you know, finds an eye towards a guy and just really wants that guy and does anything he can to go get him. And I think that guy could be Will Anderson. We talk about the lack of talent at the linebacker position. Will Anderson fits the mold. Um, do you think there's any chance that, we could maybe package the Rams pick and our own pick and maybe move up high enough to get Will Anderson. Let me know what you guys think. Well, Ryan, I'll, I'll pass it to you first since you were referenced there. And, and I think that was a good conversation we had. And I, I saw a lot of people that actually agreed with you that they, they think Jared Goff is going to be around for a while. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we know Brad Holmes isn't afraid to trade up, certainly. Is, is Will Anderson or, or I, I mean, I guess anybody in that 2023 draft you think lines might get aggressive and, and try to get towards. Well, I, I think the thing with Will Anderson is that he, he very well might be the best player in this draft class, like regardless of position um, value, like he, he very well could be prospect number one. Um, but we all know in the NFL draft that quarterbacks will, will bump those guys down uh, as often as the case. 
I just don't know if the team that gets lucky enough to have Will Anderson fall into their lap um, after maybe a quarterback or two goes would would pass up the opportunity for this guy just because he is such I mean he's 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 one of the the biggest game changers that I've seen in, in college football like in, in recent memory like I mean we're talking like talking like Chase Young level um, type of type of difference maker um, and. And I guess to bring it to, to to the quarterback aspect of it, you know, I, I just believe so much in I believe so much in in how this front office looks at Jared Goff, and I, I'm wondering because this was the spot that I was in in 2022 was Jared Goff had this Jekyll and Hyde season. If the Lions want to take the opportunity to draft a guy. To, to groom him and get him ready to be the next quarterback, this would be a really good time to do it. And if Goff has a good enough season this year to, to kind of take it in a, in a different direction real quick, I, I, I'm not sure if, say the Lions decide to hold on to the Rams pick and say the Rams, you know, make it to the playoffs, but don't make it deep. They're picking somewhere between 26 and 32 or whatever. And, and there, and there's a quarterback like, you know, Eric mentioned some of these guys that are on the fringe. I, if Goff has a good enough year, he's only 27. Like he's he's going to turn 28 this year. There's obviously still a lot of quarterbacking left in him. If he has a good enough season, I don't think that the Lions are. I don't. I don't think they're really entertaining the idea of drafting a guy in in the first round, late in the first round, to to groom him. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's 2023 draft talk, so I know Jeremy's just chomping at the bit to to get in this, but. Um, I, Eric, what do you, what do you think about Will Anderson? What do you think about, you know, 2023 quarterback watch? I, look, I, I, I'm with you. I think Will Anderson's ceiling is the number one overall pick and his floor is number four. Uh, and that would be only because teams were de- that were desperate for quarterbacks were trading up to those first like three spots. Yeah. Right. Um, I think trading up to four, if using Dan's scenario, if we're sitting somewhere in like in the teens, to try and get up to four would be really difficult to take a lot of, lot of capital, especially when teams have a Will Anderson type of player or a quarterback that would be there. The the cost is going to go up even more. Right. Um, So like it's more than just those two first round picks. Yeah. Like you're talking, you're talking about maybe 2024 first round pick as well type of thing. Um, So yeah, it, it's it would be really, really challenging, in my opinion, to try and go up and get him if you're not in the top five. Fair enough. Do you, do you have any any comments on on golf and and his viability beyond 2022? Yeah, I don't think they're willing to give up on him right now. Um, you know, obviously we've talked at length about how we got to see what ends up happening with him, but I, I'm not ruling out the fact that he could be the quarterback in 2023 either. Um, yes. The, the guaranteed money goes down and he's a little bit easier to move. Um, but his contract is palatable for the, for the level of quarterback play that you're expecting to get out of him. And so, um, you know, it, it might, if he's not the guy and and they're just using him to kind of bridge a little bit further, we might end up seeing a similar off season to what we saw uh, this year, you know, not as many big contracts and uh, 
just a, a, a off season that's focused on adding playmakers and depth. Fair enough. All right. I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you, Nick, for the question. Yeah. Thank you guys. Uh, and Ryan, I hope your great baby is sleeping great. Have a good one. <laughs> thank you. He is not, but thank you. <laughs> I, will, I will relay the message to him. <laughs> All right. Uh, and with that, we're going to take our break. Our first break here. When we come back more of your Lions questions here on the Spotify live app every Saturday morning during the off season, make sure you follow us at pride of Detroit. We will be right back. threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back here on Spotify Live answering your questions here with Eric and Ryan. Let's jump right back into our callers. We got Nick M on the line. Nick, how are we doing, buddy? Good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. All right. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, we all appreciate you guys uh, digging deep in the dregs of the July off season and, uh, you know, giving us content. It does mean a lot. So thank you. Um, and then if we're throwing out nicknames, I would I would say just a serious nickname for Eric should just be the machine. I think that kind of fits <laughs> rather rather like a keyboard warrior. I think he's the machine. That's just that's just my thought. Anyway, I have a very off season type question for you guys, uh, which is uh, just sort of about the front office and positional value. So my belief, at least seeing how Brad Holmes drafts and the position moves mostly is that he is very, very focused on positional value. And like, what I mean is, you know, no high picks on safeties. I mean, they did extend Tracy Walker. It's not like they won't spend money, but no high picks on safeties, almost nothing on linebackers. I mean, I know they traded up for Barnes, but that was still a fourth rounder. And so if he's a positional value type GM sort of the question I have. And again, this is not like uh, me being negative, but you know, we are paying Frank rag now a ton of money. And so I guess the first part of the question is, you know, do you agree that Brad Holmes is really focused on positional value? And then the second question is sort of uh, what is it about Frank rag now as a player that sort of justifies giving him $15 million a year as a center you know, when the market for a serviceable center is much lower than that, how is it? How is he a game changer? Why? Why would Brad extend him? I'm not saying it was a bad decision, but I'm just trying to 
ask you guys to explain why Frank is different and why the positional value concerns sort of don't apply to him or uh, why he's worth what he's been paid, if that makes sense. Yeah, those those are two, actually, I think, really, really good questions because um, with the positional value, especially early in the draft, like you're saying, that's something that I think has already been an upgrade over Bob Quinn because a lot of a lot of the criticisms that, that were brought upon Bob Quinn were just that. He's, he's spending high draft capital on, on tight ends. Um, even You could even argue center, like you said, um, maybe not not as valuable of a position as maybe some of the other first round um, linebacker. You get Jared Davis, all that sort of stuff. So, um, <clears throat> and I, I know Bob Brad Holmes has addressed this in the past, and I'm, I'm going to try and dig in and see if I can find the direct quote. But do you think it's a fair assessment that that he values um, positional value maybe a little bit more than than some of our predecessors here? Yes. Let me and and let me try and back that up with some data here. The of the top 10 highest played or highest paid, uh, you know, players on the Lions roster this year, as far as like cap hits go, it's one quarterback, seven offensive or defensive linemen, and then Jeff Okuda and TJ Hawkinson, who were Bob Quinn draft picks, right? And there's nothing in in, uh, Holmes inherited those two contracts that, and you're not willing, you know, you're not going to move on from those two guys who are potentially starters, right? So, um, the investment that he's made in his draft picks, the investment that, that he's uh, keeping on the roster, it's all in the trenches right now. And so, yes, that's where he has prioritized a lot of his focus during the rebuild. Uh, Decker is the uh, not the highest non-paid uh, player on the team. Then it's after that, it's Romeo. And so, you know, even, and then with, as far as Ragnow, I, I think Ragnow is the best player on this team, right? And as far as positional versus, you know, as far as like positional value of a center, I actually think center is one of the most important positions on the field. And I, and I know it, it doesn't get as much of attention as like your left tackle and what, and now I guess your right tackle you're starting to see because, you know, those guys are dealing with the edge rushers, but the center's are incredibly valuable because of the intelligence uh, that you need out of them. You need them to be able to make the line calls. You need them to be able to adjust on the fly to the different uh, defensive like rushes. Like when they do, um, when, when they do like, when they're not just rushing straight forward, when they're doing like dips and curls and they're, you know, passing guys off and stuff like that, it's the center that has to be able the one that's adjusting to that. And when you have a center who is as intelligent as Frank Ragnow and as highly athletic as Frank Ragnow is. It is almost invaluable to have that type of player uh, at the anchor point on your, on your offensive line. He makes everyone else better uh, around him. And, and so I actually would be completely okay if like Ragnow was making if he was the highest paid center in the league, I think he's absolutely worth it. Cause I think he might, he arguably is the best center in the league and what he brings to the table takes that, that position up a notch and then impacts everything else on either side around him. Ryan, you got anything to add on, on either of those sides of the questions? I think, I think it was a pretty nice all encompassing answer there. I think the one thing I have to add because I, I totally agree with, with Eric's point, like center might be the second most important position on the offense, like outside of the quarterback, like, I mean, the center is just so important. And, and I think when you have a guy who's as heady as Frank, 
um, I, I think that that is, is worth its weight in gold. But I think the one thing I want to bring up is, you know, a lot of people saw Evan Brown do an admirable job, like stepping in for Frank. And I don't know if that has maybe like tipped the scales a little bit in, in maybe the, the camp of like, well, I mean, like, you know, it, you, you can, you can get a guy who can provide you some like good replacement level, um, you know, value there. Like, but there's just, like, for, for as good as Evan Brown was, like there's a chasm between him and Frank, like Evan Brown was good in a pinch. Like Frank Ragnow is, is one of those players who definitely deserves to, to, to be paid what he's being paid. Yeah. And, and before we went live, I, I, I kind of gave a good example of that. I've, I've been, following the PFF grades of each Lions player in that final six weeks of the season where, where they really turned things around. Everyone on the offensive line had a grade of 75 or higher, except Evan Brown, who was 57.6. And if you, if you, I mean, if you plug Frank Ragnow in there, it's a pretty darn good offensive line. And, and like Eric said, I think center is, is kind of a unique position where you're not only the center of that defense, but you're, you're calling out um, protections and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it isn't, tackle and I don't know if, if there's a straight line between you know uh, val- you know strength of your center and wins I don't know if there's such a thing as center wins uh, but on, on, an, on a team in which offensive line is clearly so important because they want to run the ball because they need to protect Jared Goff a guy who can't do a lot off schedule center is a huge piece of that and so I don't think anyone should really be that upset about um, them spending as much money as, as they are. Yeah. And, and the, the one other thing I want to say is like, we haven't really seen Frank's full potential yet because remember, um, and I will remember to say, sorry for cursing. Um, unlike Dan, but uh, <laughs> it, I mean the, the, the bullshit that Frank went through with rotating guards um, sure. during the Patricia era. I mean, we talk so much about like having consistency and continuity among the offensive line. Like, I mean, and you even think about, it. I mean, Frank's, you know, rookie season, he's not playing center, he's playing left guard. Yeah. Yeah. He's had, he's so, had, for, for as good as he's been, he's had a pretty tumultuous uh, young career. And yeah, you hope that now that the, the injury is far, far behind him and, and all signs point to him probably would have been able to play towards the end of last season if, if he wanted to. So it doesn't seem like injury should be that much of a concern this year. Um, we we could be, I mean, the best could be yet to come with a guy like that, and he's already playing in an all-pro level, so that's that should be pretty exciting for fans. Well, listen, I wanted to thank the machine for uh, just disposing <laughs> of my question so quickly and efficiently. Uh, and just as a follow-up, uh, you guys uh, sent us a link to watch what I thought was kind of a boring video of Frank Ragnow doing lake fishing. I thought I was going to see him eating like seven Five Guys burgers, but it was just him fishing in a boat. Uh, <laughs> but he kept using uh, the term boat flipping for uh, when he got a fish in the boat. And so I hope that if he pancakes someone, you can like somehow try to work that terminology in, uh, Ooh, in terms like of like, describing what he did. All right. <laughs> Thank you, guys. No problem, Nick. Thank you for the question. Appreciate that. You remember when he boat flipped uh, Akeem Hicks a couple years ago? <laughs> that was right. fun. That was fun. <laughs> I, it works. I think we have a new term for uh, a Frank Ragno pancake is a boat flip. Um, all right, let's get to our next caller here. Uh, Jacob. Jacob is next. Jacob, how are you doing, man? Good. How are y'all doing? Great. Great. Good. Well, thanks again for the awesome work that y'all do. I have a 
13 month old Ryan. So the sleep issues get slightly better, I guess. <laughs> uh, good luck with that. Sounds um, encouraging. <laughs> you know, they just change. It doesn't necessarily all get better, but, but different sorts of sleep oh, issues. It sounds like being a lion. Um, go ahead. T- teething. Teething <laughs> exactly. is an issue, right? Jacob teething. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole nother ball game. Um, I'm imagining on the POD cast, y'all might have list cast coming up. And I think we can all safely assume that Jared Goff will not be in, in the top 10 of any list casts. So I, I, I was doing a little bit of kind of QB ranking and I'm imagining he's kind of in this like 18 to 22 range. And so I'm going to put y'all on the spot a little bit, but I'm wondering if you could kind of do a mini list cast here of the, the following that I think are kind of a shade below your Tannehill, your cousins, your your car, your Garoppolo, um, maybe even Mac Jones range. So here's the five that I'm going to give to y'all, um, and I can say them say them twice to give you some time to think here. But uh, Jalen Hur- Hurts, Jameis Winston, Matt Ryan right now, uh, Baker Mayfield, and Jared Goff, and we have some some former number one picks there, ironically, but. Um, thinking about the 22-23 season specifically, Hurts, Mayfield, Matt Ryan, Winston, and Jared Goff. How would you stack those up? Whew. Okay, I like this on the spot. So maybe maybe just to get a little more clarification, are you saying how good each of these quarterbacks' season will be, or are we putting these guys in a vacuum and saying how talented are they right now? Yeah, that's a good that's a good reframe. I mean, I think you know if thinking about who who you would want you know for the lions right now would would you put any of them uh, ahead of golf or or how would how would you line those up and again not necessarily thinking about the future uh not thinking about going ahead but but right now in their careers okay uh you know what i'll take this one first since i have the list right in front of me um i am probably still putting matt ryan ahead of jared goff um i still think matt ryan is somehow underrated at this point in his career, despite the fact that he has an MVP, despite he's been to the Super Bowl. I think he's just, he's been a very good quarterback for a very long time. And I know he's not at the peak of his game, but I still think he's just a reliable guy who you know is not going to make a big mistake in a big moment. Um, I'm trying to think if I would put any of these other guys ahead of Jared Goff, though, and I'm not sure I would. Um, Baker, I think, is is close. I think he's kind of... Like Ryan, I was a bit surprised that Seattle didn't go after him. And um, I I think a lot of people are put off by the way Baker Mayfield's season ended last year. And he had that that shoulder issue that I, I think was hurting him more than, than he was leading on to believe. So I think he's right there with Goff. I would not put Jameis Winston ahead of him. And Jalen Hurts, I, I just not yet. I think he has potential. I think he played a lot better towards the end of last season. But I don't think he's better than Jared Goff yet. So... I'd put Matt Ryan ahead of him. Ahead of him, I'd put Mayfield on the same level, but I don't think I'd put anyone else above him. What do you guys think, Ryan? I, I want I want to just throw this out there. I'm not saying I'm not saying anything. I'm just putting this out there for informational purposes. Last year, Jameis Winston, before he gets hurt, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. He was balling. He was balling in, in New Orleans. He was playing pretty well. Like, yeah. he was playing pretty well. His turnover-worthy percentage was was at 3%, and that was the lowest of his career. So my my question is, like, does that all go out the window because Sean Payton's gone? Or 
can we expect a, a kind of renaissance? Because, I mean, look at what the – you talk about what the Lions have around golf. Winston has that in spades, right? I mean, if, yeah. if Michael Thomas is healthy, if Jarvis Landry and um, Olave. And, I mean, they, they got um, – I mean, they, 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 Camara. I mean, they have so much talent um, on that on that offense. Like, I'm not saying. I, I, I think what Jacob's question was really interesting is like there are three former number one picks. You know, Jameis, uh, Baker, and and Goff. And it's like, hmm, just interesting. This is a very interesting question. I I, I think I'm there with you, Jeremy. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm buying the Kool Aid, but like. I feel like stock is just higher on golf than it is on Baker right now. Because isn't that, I mean, there's still kind of the question like going into Panthers camp, like who's going to win the, like people don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Like they got Baker. So Baker's going to be the quarterback. Like there's still a lot of people out there that are like, it's still good. It's going to be Sam Darnold. Yes. I can't, I can't find that. I feel like people just are hating on Baker a little bit. Listen, I think he still has to mature a lot as a person. And that, that affects things like that affects you as a leader that affects you as, as a competitor but I think in terms of raw skills, I think I think it's clear that he's going to be. The and, same. and I and I agree with you. It's just it's weird to see that re, it, it's weird to see that refrain going on right now. But yeah, Eric, the machine. <laughs> um, I, I'm not as high on Baker this year because I think Baker's a gambler, and um, I don't know if they're going to be able to. Uh, adjust to that style of quarterback in Carolina. Um, they have some talented players. Like they have a couple, you know, they have a good, good receiver, they have a good running back who can't stay healthy, but like he's such a gambler. Like, I don't know if I, I, I feel like his interception numbers are going to be up because it's hard to get into a new scheme, get into a new system. The uh, quarter, the uh, offensive coordinator, uh, was not a Baker Mayfield fan. If you recall in the, in the NFL draft, he had like five quarterbacks ranked above him, if I'm not mistaken. And so like, I don't know if he knows how to use Baker properly. I, I just, I'm, I look at that whole situation and, and it doesn't, I don't, I'm not overly optimistic about it. And, and I could see him, if we're just talking like this season, I could see him having the worst season of, of the five. Uh, in this group, I, I I'm also not as sold on Winston, especially like Ryan said, without Peyton uh, at the helm there, um, it's a little bit low. He's going to be lower on my list as well. So um, then it gets a little tricky. Um, I actually think Hertz is a bit underrated. I think his ability to run makes him a guy that is a threat. Uh, I am with Jeremy though that I think he's just not quite there yet. And so I would put him a tick below uh, Goff, and then um, I would have Ryan as my number one. Um, again, I, I think he's declining, but there's still enough consistency there that you know you you like you trust what he can do a little bit more than I than I think you can trust what Goff can do now because look Goff had a nice end of the season, but as we keep reminding ourselves, we can't forget the type of player he was in the first half of the season as well. And so if he can play like he did the the back half of the season, he could be the top one on this list, but he's got to be able to do that. And I don't know if we're at that stage yet where we can say he's going to definitively do it. Fair answers. Fair answers. I, I like the question, Jacob. Appreciate uh, bringing kind of a, a new discussion to us. 
Yeah, thanks so much, y'all. I'll just quickly, this could be super rapid fire, um, just since Ryan mentioned uh, a bounce back season or a, a big step, Trevor Lawrence would, would he again for this season, obviously for the future, he'd be, be number one on this list, but for this season, would he slot in ahead of any of these? Man, that's it's, like, I can't, I don't know what's going to happen in Jacksonville. We've already brought him up once and I, I just can't, I can't predict su- success with that franchise until I see it. And Listen, I think Trevor Lawrence is an extremely talented guy, and we all know they, they kind of broke the bank on, on wide receivers this offseason. But I don't – I mean, I don't know. Is, is the offensive line going to hold up? Is is he going to be put in positions to, to actually win games, or is he going to be playing from 20 points behind every game? I, I don't know. I, as a prospect, I think I like him probably better than – like you said, probably better than everybody – for, for the future. But for this year, I, I mean, it's almost like a second rookie year for him after everything he went through in year one. Yeah, it is. I agree with you on that uh, completely. Like he's got a new uh, coaching staff that he's got to get used to. The offensive line um, is not still not a, a fully solidified unit. Um, his offensive coordinator is Press Taylor. Um, first, uh, it's his first, uh, year as an offensive coordinator. And so, um, you know, we don't know what we're going to get out of him. You know, we don't know what kind of production that, that Jackson was going to be able to put out onto the field. And so there's just a lot of unknowns and, and, and that becomes um, really interesting. The the thing that if anything is, is going to say that I'm not ready to put him real super high is um, anyone know who his passing game coordinator is? Either of you guys know his passing game coordinator? Not off the top of my dome. Mm. Jim, Bob Jim Bob Cooter. Oh, it's my Jim God. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, like, you have to be asking this question for <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that concerns me more than anything because we've seen what Jim Bob can do uh, and the way that he can curb you know, even the most talented of quarterbacks, how uh, his involvement can often – lead to check downs and a whole variety of different things. So yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not sold on, on Jacksonville. They're just too much of an unknown for me. Fair enough. All right. You got anything? Awesome. To add no, I don't. Nope. Okay. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, no problem. Let's go on to our next caller. We got Seth on the line. Seth, welcome to the show. Uh, hey guys, uh, just got to say off the bat that Jim Bob Cooter slander will not be tolerated. <laughs> I pre- I, I, you know, I kind of wanted to come to his defense too. I still got well, a shirt. Go ahead. With- I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I still got a shirt with his name on it, on a van. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my question was, I was kind of fascinated last year with how the 49ers used Debo Samuel down the stretch, kind of as a running back and a wide receiver. Um, is there any chance that Amon Ra, St. Brown, or Jameson Williams get used in a similar way? Obviously, um, we had Amon Ross St. Brown in the backfield a little bit last year and it is a copycat league. And it was kind of when Ben Johnson took over that we started seeing that with him. And obviously the 49ers started doing this when the running back got hurt. So is there any chance that when Swift goes down, we kind of see one of these guys move into a role as a running back and receiver combo like Debo did. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're right on the money with, with Amon Ra being the one with the most pe- potential to fill that role. I guess the question becomes like, how much do you want to do it? Cause obviously Debo was not too happy with how much they used him 
uh, in that role. And it's, it's obviously one that, that gets you banged up a little bit more. Um, so, I, I mean, that's a good question. I feel like the Lions are pretty happy with their, their current stable of running backs. So maybe it's not something that they want to overutilize. But we were just talking about how you want to put the, the ball in your playmakers' hands. And Amon Ra pretty much proved he's a big playmaker. So do we maybe see that uptick in, in, in him in the backfield this year? I don't think we see it at the level of what Debo was getting it. Right. Um, what we saw last year down the stretch uh, with Amon Ra was over the last six games. He, he didn't have a rushing uh, attempt in the first like half of the season, the first 10 weeks or whatever. Um, all of his rushing production came over the final six games. And of that, he only ran the ball actually seven times. Uh, but when he did run it, it was for 61 yards and a touchdown. So um, yes, he can be productive, but I think he is the type of guy that is going to be more productive if it's only, you only put him in the backfield like a couple of times a game and you maybe only give him the ball once a game type of thing. I don't think you want to put his body under the same duress that that um, that San Francisco did w- with, with Debo there. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I think Amon Ra actually uh, talked about that, like how he doesn't want to be that style of uh, – he he wants to be a a wide ranging multi positional like uh, player, but he doesn't want to be as engrossed into that uh, role a, a, as Debo was. I I tried looking for the quote when uh, when Seth started when I knew where Seth was going when he started asking questions, but I couldn't find it. But if I am I re, am I misremembering? Didn't I thought he addressed that at uh, some point this off season? I don't I don't specifically remember that, but. Um... Yeah, just, just to kind of add to, to what you were saying there. So <clears throat> Amon Ra had two reps in the backfield, two snaps in the backfield in the first 12 weeks, and then he had 11 in the final six. So it, it's something that, that they certainly were, were more open to using more. But, yeah, I think, I think I'm with you. I, I don't want to see Debo, level, uh, Debo Samuel level use in, in the backfield. Um, Ryan, if you have anything to add on Amon Ra, do it. But I'm kind of curious as your thoughts about Jameson Williams, the other guy. Uh, that, that Seth brought up as a potential backfield threat. Yeah, I want to talk about that too, but I need to uh, I need to address Seth and his um, very specific word choice. Did you met, did you guys notice that when he he said when DeAndre Swift gets hurt, um, it w- wasn't an if proposition. Well, um, yeah. I, I'm with him there. <laughs> I, I didn't know I did a did a Saturday morning podcast with Deuce Staley. Um, okay, so uh, the the thing about the Amon Ra thing real quick that I just have to add is for so long, Jeremy, how, how long were we clamoring for like split backfields when, when Theo Riddick and Amir Abdullah were here? You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. just, just, I think what would be really beneficial for, for Amon Ra in a lot of spots is maybe, maybe some of that stuff with like Swift, right. Or maybe even some of that stuff with, with Jamal. Um, but like just even having him back there, not necessarily getting rushing attempts and things like that, but like, that's just an interesting wrinkle that you have to account for. I mean, maybe he's running Jeremy's favorite route, the wheel. Um, Maybe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe he's doing some kind of, you know, just like misdirection, things like that. So I I think, I think maybe, maybe not so much use, but in in terms of snap alignments and things like that, like, I I don't think Ben Johnson's going to be afraid to like, Oh, Hey, we'll start Amon Ra out here and then he'll, you know, We'll, we'll flex him out and, and he'll motion out into the slot or something like that. Like, um, I, I think you see a lot of interesting, cool wrinkles with that, but I, I just don't, I don't know about JMO. Like, I feel like they want to have his speed outside. 
that's where I think it's going to be most beneficial for, for Detroit to have him is, is just, you know, on the margins. I think that's fair. I mean, they, they talked all off season about how they wanted an X receiver who can stretch the, the, the defense deep. And so they, they got a guy who can do that. Uh, I, I think you're probably right on the money there that, that they wouldn't want to do that. And yeah, I think I, I agree with everything you said in terms of moving Amon Ra anywhere, right? And they, they've said they, they want their guys to be capable of playing every wide receiver position. And I think a lot of that has to do with being able to move them pre-snap and, and shift them. And, and we know he's certainly less, um, and he being Ben Johnson, less afraid of, of pre-snap motion. And, you know, we talk, I think the, the buzzword this offseason has been tempo, right, is getting to the line quick. And it's not just about snapping the ball quick. It's about getting a line so that you can have all the time to do all those pre-snap motions and, and adjustments and things like that. And having versatile weapons that can slot into the backfield or, or line up on the line or off the line or, you know, in line as, as, an, as an offensive lineman. Like having all those options on the table all kind of go into the plan of what the lines are trying to be, which is essentially just being more versatile. I found the, uh, the quote I was looking for. Um, he says, uh, they, San Francisco, they took it to the extreme with Debo. He was basically like their second running back. I don't know if that's what Ben Johnson's plan is or what they're thinking. Uh, but, um, I understand where Debo was coming from. It was a completely different scenario. In in Detroit, we have guys like DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, and so many other running backs on our team that can do so many different things. I mean, I don't mind them using me now and then. I'm more than happy to do that, but I don't see them doing what they did with Debo to me. There you go. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. Never, never count out the machine. The machine. <laughs> Uh, appreciate the questions. That's, that was good. And, yeah, thank uh, you guys. Uh, thank you, Eric the Machine. Appreciate you guys. <laughs> um, all right. Do we have? No, let's go to a break. Um, when we come back, we're going to close things up. With our last callers here on the Spotify Live app as we inch closer two weeks away until players report, by the way, for training camp. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back closing things up here on the Spotify Live podcast. Thank you to our live audience for joining us. Always appreciate our live audience interacting, whether it be jumping on the show or our little chat room that's always full of jokes. Uh, let's bring our next caller in, though. Uh, David, you're on the line. David, how you doing, buddy? Hey, guys. Doing good. How are you? Good, good. Hey, I've been wondering about the offensive play calling. Um with all that has been said about everybody competing for a starting job, do you think the same goes for the uh, role of play calling? 
Ooh, I like that. Uh, good question because, yeah, I mean, it's still technically something that's up in the air, right? We don't really know what's going to happen. I, I think most of us believe Ben Johnson is, is going to get a shot at that. But, as, as I mean, it's a good question because, in, in a way, they, that's how it worked last year, right? They, they gave Anthony Lynn a shot, and he wasn't the best at doing it. So Dan Campbell took over, and he was better at it. So I guess the question is, how do you have that competition before the season starts? Is it something that maybe they, they try in the preseason? Maybe maybe they give Ben Johnson a, a game in the preseason, see how he does, and goes back to Dan Campbell one game. I, do you think they're they're willing to try something like that, or do you think like maybe that decision has already been made and they're just kind of keeping it behind closed doors right now? I don't buy into the the uh, that Campbell doesn't have an inkling one way or another, right? And mm-hmm. um, my guess is that he's going to give that to to Ben Johnson. Um, the, the the I think the trepidation with him is that he doesn't want to like I, I, one I don't think he wants to put too much pressure on Ben Johnson right now and I think he's trying to deflect some of that by saying that he he could still do it um, but at the same time I think it would be hard to let him take over and then pull those reins back and then still be able to maintain him on staff. Um, that it gets really tricky. So it's, it's kind of like you can't put the, you know, once you, once you allow him to start making play calls, you, you kind of have to roll with it and he's going to have his lumps. And, but um, so maybe that's where the hesitancy is coming. I, I think he's more trying to be protective in that uh, come week one, it, it'll be Ben Johnson and he'll have a, the year to, you know, show if he can sink or swim. I think I think that's a good point because one of my follow-up questions you kind of already answered it there is like, is there even a chance that he's going to be on a short lease, leash in the in, in the same way Anthony Lynn was like, because it, it's a completely different situation, right? Anthony Lynn's kind of a veteran guy. He's a guy that you're still feeling out. Ben Johnson is a guy who Dan Campbell has just praised un, unabashedly all all off season, all last season, all you know leading up, called him a rock star, all that sort of stuff. So. If if you take away play calling duties from him, I mean you're you're essentially doing the same thing you did to Anthony Lynn, which is handing him a pink slip in the middle of the season. You got to imagine he's going to be less inclined to do that, right? Yeah, I think if you pull it away from him, you're basically co-signing the fact that you're going to move on from him at the end of the year, and with not having the level of, you know. I don't want to say respect, but like not having earned the, the, the history that, that, that like in, in the league, the way Lynn has, I don't even know if he would, if they would like, if they took the play calling away, I don't even know if they'd keep him on type of thing. You know what I mean? That's why I think yeah. he's going to get more time to show like, you know, what, what his value is. Ryan, do you think they might do anything kind of interesting or maybe in, unconventional when, when it comes to deciding you know, play calling this year. Do you think? Do you think it's still up for grabs at this point? Do you think that that they might try some try it out both ways in, in the preseason or anything crazy like that? Uh, see, this is what I think is going to be really interesting because I, I I do agree with that idea that like that you mentioned earlier, Jeremy, about um, maybe not an audition in the in the preseason, but just like how like how how are you handling this kind of thing? And I, I think if Dan Campbell wanted play calling duties, he would just take them. 
but I, I agree with, with everything you said in, in terms of, you know, all the praise that he's had for Ben Johnson this off season. I mean, um, I, I think that, I don't want to say it's his job to lose, but it, I, I feel like it is like, it, I, I feel like it's, a, it's just a, it almost seems like a formality to me at this point. That's fair. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think, I think we're all kind of expect at this point that it's going to be Ben Johnson and yeah, it, it goes back to me, just all the, all the praise that he's, if, if you're talking about this guy as the up and coming smart genius offensive mind and all the players are praising him, all that sort of stuff. How can you do that and not give him what most people consider to be the biggest part of an offensive coordinator? And that's calling plays. Um, And I guess the other aspect of this is both he and Dan Kimball seem to downplay a little bit, the importance of play calling um, in a way, in a way they, they almost frame it like the game almost kind of play calls itself. It's more about the preparation and, and, and developing the game plan than it is calling the exact plays. And let, I guess maybe let's expand the question to that. Do you, is that something that you, you believe to be true or is maybe that just kind of coach speak for don't, don't judge us too much on this decision because it's, it's only a small portion of, of our offensive success. No, I buy into the fact that they've essentially laid out what they want to do um, over the course of the game leading through going through the week um obviously yeah. they script the first however many plays and 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 then they they become more flexible after that but i do think that they have goals in mind and they have certain things that they want to use at certain times like um if you want to you know do in uh maybe you want a, a trick play or something you you have a specific time that you want to use it in a certain scenario that you want to use it and a lot of the in-game like adjustments and a lot of those in-game big decisions are things that the head coach is involved in anyways, right? Like, you know, uh, late in the game, two minute drills, like all those things are, are things that, um, you know, are things that the coaches, the head coach is going to be involved in regardless of if he's calling the uh, offensive play calls or not. But like, when they get into two minute drills, like they've run two minute drills. They've, they've scripted those two minute drills when they run them in practice. So yeah, they probably are just taking those and saying, boom, let's just impl- put these in place and what's the situation. And then in our two minute drill, let's, let's execute that. So yeah, I, I do agree with the, the, the game kind of calls itself. Um, and, and Dan Campbell's involvement is going to be, I, uh, you know, I think at the same level we would expect it to be whether he was head coach or offensive uh, play caller. Yeah. And, and I think the, just the, the one thing that I want to add to that is like, who was so involved in drawing up plays and play design and, and things like that down the stretch. Right. I mean, it was, it was Ben Johnson yep. last season. And, 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 and here's the other thing is that there's, there's an incredible support system. Cause to Eric's point, like, I mean, in those, in those decision-making uh, in the decision-making capacity, like the head coach is making that decision, right? Well, hey, there's an assistant head coach too named Deuce Staley. So like Ben Johnson has like, I don't want to say like a safety net, but he has some support systems in place um, that I, I think like, a, a, again, like this is just my thinking is that it, it, it's a formality at this point. It's going to happen. Um, but I, I, I am interested to see whether or not it happens before or after the preseason. We will have to wait and see. Uh, David, appreciate the question, buddy. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. You too. 
Let's move on to Stephen. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Make sure uh, you're you're not echoing. You guys hear me? Make sure okay. uh, you're, you're not echoing too much there. Okay, I got you over to car speakers. Sorry. Um, quick question: We talked a lot about Jared Goff and how far he can take the team, but I don't want a hypothetical and injury. So let's hypothetical: Jared Goff decides to take a year sabbatical. How how many wins should we expect the Lions to get without Jared Goff at quarterback, but with the rest of the team the way it is? Oof, <laughs> this is a a bleak question, I would say, uh, because yeah, I mean, we we saw we saw what the team looked like with a lot of Tim Boyle last year, and not great. Um, maybe better with with the, the the coaching staff that they have in place and a better supporting cast around him this year but i can't imagine this number is more than 4 right yeah you're almost talking about no. how, what games can you win in despite your quarterback as opposed to with your quarterback right yeah and I think we all agree, like, it's it's a talent league for as much as we want to make about the coaching staff. It's like, Lions aren't going to coach themselves to more than three or four wins. Um, and and I, I guess in this this terrible, look how far we've come, guys. I mean, we're at the point where it's like, oh, it's such a dreadful hypothetical to think about a Jared Goff-less Detroit Lions team. But, um, <laughs> I mean, that, that's the reality of the situation. Like, it, it, in this hypothetical situation, uh, I just want to make it clear, Stephen, like, when do they lose Jared Goff? Like he goes on the sabbatical, but injury, whatever it may be. But like, if, if the lions lose him, I like early enough in the season, Brad Holmes is doing everything he can to, to get a, a new quarterback, right? Like <laughs> to, co- to coax Ryan Fitzpatrick out of retirement. <laughs> I don't, right. I mean, maybe like, probably I, do, do you think that like, if it happens early enough in the season, like Brad Holmes is just like, all right, Tim Boyle like 12 games of Tim Boyle. <laughs> like, I don't know about that. Probably not. That That's actually a really good question because it, it relies on the, the philosophical question, how much you kind of pack it in for the season and just be like, all right, let's just play for draft picks or we can't, we can't pack it in, in, you know, early October. Right. Um, and, and you have to imagine that they won, right? You have to imagine given everything we know about how competitive, this set of players and coaches and even Brad Holmes is I would think they'd probably go out and and try to grab a quarterback. That's, that's an upgrade over Tim Boyle because I mean, last year it was, it was not only the fact that they knew they were going to get Jared Goff back. It was not only the fact that they, they, you know, they knew that the season wouldn't be, wouldn't be a success, but it was in the middle of the season. And I think they probably wanted to see and give Tim Boyle some, some reps He's got those reps. They don't need another 12 reps out of him to figure out who he is. I think they go they go out and get somebody. But do we I, I guess should should we just answer the original question? Let's just let's say Brad Holmes sits on his hands and and we're we're treated to 17 games of Tim Boyle. What's set the floor and the ceiling? The the floor might be the floor might be one. <laughs> I, I don't think it's zero because like, I don't think, I think Dane Campbell would, would suit up before he let this team go winless. <laughs> um, and I think the ceiling would legitimately be like four, maybe three, <sighs> three might be, three might be the ceiling guys. 
Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm looking over the schedule Boyle. Right now, and I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, maybe he gets better. Maybe maybe David Blau comes in and gives them something different. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, it would not. They would be. You would have to come up with a team who whose quarterback situation is equally as difficult, right? And so, I mean, as bad as some of the teams on the uh, on the schedule are, a lot of them have, you know, average quarterbacks, and there's a couple of teams that have really good quarterbacks. But how many of them could Tim Boyle beat? I, I don't. I don't know. It's not, <laughs> this it's, is the it, ultimate it, July question. <laughs> it would be. Uh, it would but, be hard. But here's the thing. It it, it points to not not Jared Goff being such a key cog to this team, but the offense being such a key cog to the team this year, because the other side of the ball is still very much a work in progress. And while I think we're all expecting a little bit of a jump from, you know, 30th, 31st in the league, it's not going to be a top 10 defense. And so they need their offense to hum along to stay in games in the, in this season. And they're just, they're probably not going to do that with Tim Boyle. There's there's not a lot of hiding your quarterback on what should be a good offense. Right. Like the Lions need to be thinking like we need to score like 24 to 27 points a game to like be competitive every week. Can can you count on that from Tim Boyle? Well, do you know how many times they did it, did that last year? I like, know. They only went over 25 like four times, right? Or something like right. that. Like, yeah. they, were, they were below 20. Every they single game, to, yeah, every the first 12 except for that opener. Well, San Fran, yeah, they had 33 in San Fran, and then they went, yeah, all the way through the Cleveland game before they got over 20 and might even been after that, yeah, after <laughs> Thanksgiving. And if I'm not um, mistaken, they were under 20 at the two-minute warning in that San Francisco game. <laughs> right. So, um, honestly – what if the wildcat could do something, you know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, we were having the wrong discussion about Amon Ross St. Brown. <laughs> yeah, he's the quarterback now. He's the quarterback now. <laughs> I bet Amon Ross could win a game before Tim Boyle could. <laughs> oh, my God. No way. It's July. It's July. I'm joking. It's July. I was joking. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm joking. I like St. Brown that much. I'm not St. Brown high right now. All right, fair enough. Uh, somebody, somebody, unplug Eric and, and and plug him back in. The machine is broken. <laughs> okay, our next question and final question comes from Jamel, who uses our little chat room. Says, "Do you think these recent sudden retirements can or will reflect poorly on Dan Campbell?" Um, interesting question because this is a a talking point that I have seen kind of creep up. Um, they have the I can't remember the UDFA name, the rookie UDFA who retires basically right after in the middle of rookie minicamp. And then obviously uh, John Penasini retirement hasn't gone through officially, but he is retiring. Jermaine um, Waller. Jermaine Waller. Thank you. Um, are you, are you guys concerned about this at all? Do you think it reflects poorly at all on, on the coaching staff at all? I, it, I mean, it's not, obviously there, we haven't heard the reasoning for either retirement from, from the source itself. So it's hard to maybe make a judgment that, you know, the, the environment was too rough or, the coaches couldn't motivate these guys enough or anything like that, but I, I just taking them at their, at their face values. Is there any reason for concern here? I don't know. It, it, it's hard to tell because you, you don't really get the full picture of what 
an individual is going through in their life. And so it's hard to tell if John Panasini is just ready to move on from football or if there's like, you know, something that's, that's pulling him away. Right. Like we don't know what's going on with him. And so it's hard for us to speculate if it's necessarily football related. And, and the same thing is true with Waller. Um, if you recall last year um, when um, Josh Hill retired, we had talked about the fact that he, when we talked to him in, in over zoom, like he did not seem very, he did not seem like totally buying into the season. He almost seemed like he had, he was trying to keep one foot in new Orleans because he had been in new Orleans. Most of his career, he had a family that had established and grew roots there. He was part of their community he had kids that were in school age. And, and you could, you could kind of feel that vibe from him that he wasn't ready to exit that environment. And then when you add in him, you know, uh, being over 30 years old and he just, you know, that wasn't overly surprising that he ended up um, retiring. And so we don't really always know what's going on with these guys. And and this really brings up the human aspect of, of the NFL that I think we often overlook is we often think, you know, there's, if, if this happens, it's because of this. And, 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 and this is, you know, and this is, this football thing causes this, but like in reality, you know, it's, it's, it's a good reminder to us that these are humans and that, you know, they're going to have people in their life who get hurt and they have to miss training camp and, or, you know, uh, they're going to have people in their life get, that get sick and they have to take, you know, a game off or, or maybe they have to go on, uh, or maybe they go on paternity leave because they had a, had a baby. Like they're, they're still, it's, it's, it's the retirements are really just hard to, to identify the reasoning behind them. And I mean, yeah, we've seen what four over the last year, but like, I think without knowing the details on any of them, it's hard to really ascertain why they made those decisions. Uh, and I just want to throw another name into the conversation because Jamel brought him up in the chat and he was one that jumped into my mind too. Darren Fells um, asking to, for his release from the team last year. That was kind of maybe the one that impacted the team the most, right? Because tight end was such a, a thin position as is Darren Fells was a guy that was brought in to, to replace a retired player already. Um, and any of that a concern? And it, it just, I, I think the reason it's it's so hard for us to believe that this is a coaching issue or, or you know something is just how much praise everyone else that that stays has been giving these guys, and it doesn't feel like the, you know, I'm just saying this so I don't lose my job kind of praise. It, it seems like legitimate praise, and we, we've seen so many players kind of come out of their shell under this staff. Mm-hmm. So. I, I, well, what like what are we saw it from Jamie Collins too? Right. Right. And, yeah. and who and who are the guys that are jumping ship and who are the guys that are praising? Because what we're seeing is the guys that are jumping ship are the veterans and yeah. the guys that are praising are the young guys. And that's because this this uh, coaching staff has has because of where they are on the rebuild, they've made it very obvious that they're going to play the young guys. And yeah. so for a veteran that is like it's it's they could uh, when when Fells asked for his. Uh, release, it was at the break when they were moving away from Anthony Lynn. It's when they were refocusing the offense and they were, and and they very much could have been like, they could have said to him, Hey, look, we got to see what Brock Wright can do. And so we're going to bring him up and you're going to go down to tight end three. And maybe that was the catalyst. Like it's yeah. really, um, it, it, 
it's 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 not overly surprising in a rebuild to see veterans jump ship for me anyway. Yeah, I, I think that I think that jumping ship is is a lot different um, in in these cases that we've seen under under Dan Campbell um, than than we've seen in the past. I mean, it's not Robert Ayers who's inside the building for twenty four hours and decides to to get out of town. So. Um, I mean, the only, the only, the only thing that I can think of a, as a misstep from Dan Campbell is the retirement he forced Don, you know, Don into. I mean, that's <laughs> that's really it. Like, that's the only thing that I think, like, even Dan Campbell would admit. Like, I, and he has. Like, I, you know, I handled that wrong. Like, should have handled that better. So he gave him a job. <laughs> <laughs> now everyone's happy. Mostly. You know how those special Most- teams people are. Yeah, that's true. I wrote a whole thing about it. Uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, we're going to close things up there. We are going to do a little bit overtime for our live audience, which is just another reason you should join us here live on the Spotify Live app. Make sure you download it on your mobile devo- device for Apple or Android, or if there's a third option. I don't think there is. I don't know. Um, but uh, Saturday mornings, 1030-ish a.m. Eastern, follow at Pride of Detroit. Uh, check out the tweet for when we go live. Uh, but until next time, for Ryan, for Eric, thank you all for joining us. It's chaos. Be kind.